three, two, one. All right, guys, welcome back to the Expanded Minds podcast. Today, I have a special guest with me, and his name is Jeff. Jeff is the host of the podcast, Real, Raw, and Uncut, where he keeps it real, raw, and uncut. The reason why I have Jeff with me today is because of his authenticity, his openness, and his curiosity around self-development. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast. And could you tell a guest a little bit about yourself and kind of give us a timeline that led you to starting a podcast in the first place? So what were some events that led you to wanting to start a podcast? Man, what's going on, everybody? Uh, I appreciate you, Ezekiel, for having me on here. Um, so really what got me to start my podcast was I've always been very open about things that I've gone through in life. And it really started on Snapchat. So it was about a year ago, give or take, I noticed everyone using private stories. But when they use their private stories, it was always more leaning on, I guess, hiding what they were doing um, behind the scenes from like close friends or family members that they didn't want knowing that they either smoke or were drinking or stuff along those lines. But I wanted to use my private story for something a little bit different than most people. So I made my private story. I led with it real raw and uncut. Um, and I just got on there every single Monday and I just picked a random topic or I picked something that I had just went through that prior week or something recent in my life. And I would just talk about it. And I think the most difficult part about it was that Snapchat only lets you record up to a minute. So I would have to do like multiple clips winded up being like, depending on the topic, some five minutes, some up to 10 minutes, but uh, surprisingly, a lot of the close friends that I did put on there would watch all the way through. And over time, a lot of them were telling me, Hey man, you should start your own podcast. Like you start your own podcast, do a podcast, do a podcast. And, um, over time, curiosity got to me. And I realized a lot of the stuff that I was putting on my Snapchat, given the feedback I was getting, like people telling me like how much it was helpful towards them and helping them uh, get through certain things or just hearing someone speak about certain things made them feel good to open up as well. So I looked into podcasts, started watching uh, different people and just started watching videos on how to start a podcast. So next thing you know, I went down the street to Guitar Center, bought my equipment, and boom, there we go, episode one on uh, YouTube. So that's how that came about. So what were some of the things that you put on your story? And was there also like any moments that you had with people where it led to like you discussing about something deep happening in their lives, something like that? Yeah, so I say uh, there's a few topics on there that I would discuss that actually went real deep. And um, one was over depression. And for the viewers watching that don't know me, um, I actually have a little girl. She's uh, going to be eight next month. And she's like everything to me. But unfortunately, you know, I'm not with her mother uh, anymore. So I get her every single week still. Um but that's one of the things that my depression stems from. So when I open up about it, I get very emotional and it gives people a different understanding of me as an individual. And it almost amazes people seeing that 
when I open up about that and they know how much it affects me on a daily, when they're around me and they didn't know that prior to, and they see how I'm always so like high energy, always laughing, playing around, being a jokester, a clown and stuff. It amazes them knowing that I'm still able to carry that kind of uh, persona, knowing that I'm battling all these demons. So I think that's probably one of the, the deepest things that I go into topics about is relating around my depression. Um, but I think um, there's a few other things that I've opened up about. Um, I'd say there's ones like the guys hate me when I do this. But when I give, I guess, the females advice on guys on how most men think about females or little things that we do to get a female like to even get us, you know, to that extra mile, you know, what I'm talking about. So <laughs> guys hate when I do that because it's like I'm exposing like what we do. But I like to give females that point of view because I hate knowing that females get taken advantage of or they get used. So it gives them a different insight on how men think and our point of view of things. So the guys hate me for it, but not to kill it for anybody, but I just want it to be a, a fair playing field for everybody. <laughs> when it comes to, you talked a little about depression, but like <clears throat> depression, like I'll say is different for everybody. So like when it comes to your story, you know, where did it start with depression and you know, how to develop over time. And um, yeah, that's, that's my question. So I feel like I've always battled with depression. And I didn't know it at first until I got older. But I want to say it started as an adolescent because my parents separated when I was two years old. And my mom raised me and my two older sisters. So it's three of us total. I'm the youngest and the only guy in the family. My mom's a warrior, man. She's she's everything to me because as a parent, she did everything. She worked multiple jobs at different points in her life, but she was always able to maintain a roof over our head and food on the table. So seeing her struggle, though, I think brought a lot of uh, trauma into my life because it was hard seeing us go through what we went through. I want to say around like 10 years old, there's even a point in time where um, we went through a very hard time where we were actually homeless for some time. Um, it was only like three months, but nonetheless, like sleeping out of a car or sleeping at a homeless shelter, sharing one plate of food between four people. Um, it's tough, you know, and, and going through even uh, as a young adolescent, you come home and when we did have a roof over our head, you come home to eviction notices on the door. And I see how stressed my mom would get and how much that would affect her. So we all like me and my siblings started working at early ages. I was working at 13 years old. Um, my other sister working at like 14, 15. So I think all that brings so much over time, brought so much depression into my life and really messed with me mentally where subconsciously it brought so many, many traumas to my life that developed me into having negative personalities. Like I was so angry growing up and I was a very violent person, very um, negative towards everybody and towards the world. And Eventually, I met the mother of my little girl, and at that point, I was kind of trying to shift my life around, but, you know, we had my little girl. I was 15 when I had her, by the way, and when we split, oh, man, that within itself was probably the deepest, darkest depression I ever encountered in my life, 
because I've always wanted and it's something I always desired was having a family, you know, the mom, the dad, the kid. And I never had that growing up. So when I got the uh, chance to finally have that and that got stripped away from me, it broke me so bad because, you know, everybody has like a dream of like what they want out of life. Right. So a lot of females, they expect like their wedding to be like the biggest day of their life, um, all big and fancy with like hella people. It's, you know, very aesthetic scenery and shit. So for me, it was just having that family, that bond, that unity. And I had that and I was so happy during that time. But when it got stripped away from me and I realized I wasn't going to have my little girl every single day anymore and I wasn't going to have what I've always dreamt about, that killed me. And that definitely brought me to the deepest, darkest state of mind that I've been in to this day. You know, it was so bad that the first two weeks after the breakup, I took off of work. I stayed in my room. Like the only time I came out was literally to go to the restroom. I didn't eat for two weeks. I was like a little over 210 when we broke up. Within two weeks, I lost so much weight, which was very unhealthy. And after like a month or two of being so depressed, I went from like 210 to 160, 165. So do the math, like the amount of pounds that I lost in such a short frame was very unhealthy, but it was due to the depression. I was so deep in a dark state of mind that I almost would have not been here today. It got to a point where I was very suicidal and I, I had it all mapped out, planned out, letters written. I was seconds away from taking myself. And, you know, I closed my eyes and right before I did what I was going to planning to do, I see my little girl flash in front of me. She was two years old at the time when we split with uh, her mother and when I closed my eyes and I was seconds away from doing it, I just see her running and she was probably like four or five. And it was just like a, a big old grass field. And I just see her running across it and I dropped the gun and I was like, man, I can't do it. Like I need to be there for my little girl. Like she's everything to me. And to me, that was a sign from, you know, a higher power letting me know that it's not my time yet. I need to be there for her. I can't leave her here. So ever since then, man, I've really put my mind into, she's my world, right? And my life, I feel like revolves around hers because everything I do is for her nowadays. You know, when I have bad days or a shitty week and I get her that Friday, all my worries go away. Everything I have in my mind, all the stress, anxiety, it goes away. When she's not with me throughout the rest of the week, that's when I go to sleep and I'm in my room at nighttime is the worst. I always say it's like a jail cell. It's four walls. That's when I think it's me and myself and I lose every battle at night, every single time. Go to sleep crying. I go to sleep just missing her like crazy. These thoughts just are so crazy to me, bro. Like, the shit that runs through my mind is insane, but if it wasn't for my little girl, I really didn't, I really don't think I would have made it then. And I don't think I would even be making it now if it wasn't for her. That's good that family is your motivation to keep on going. Um, and when you kind of, when you talked about depression, um, 
at least for me, like, it's like I was also wasn't given a good starting hand as well when it came to a family situation. And I think a lot of people in general just don't have a good starting hand. Um, and for me personally, when it came to depression, like, you know, a lot of things in my family situation, things not working out, everybody high in their feelings and repressing their feelings, you know, makes things kind of feel more dark and, the, and it makes the outside world or life outside of the home, it makes it seem even more darker, more scarier. Um, and for me, it's, 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 it takes a while to be able to build up courage around actually facing going out into the world and not also facing my own darkness that happened uh, in my house and stuff like that, but also facing the darkness that is on the outside of me as well. And so how did you start to muster up the courage to be able to, you started working at 13 and as a 13 year old, I don't know if you thought a lot about it, about like working and stuff, but was it something that was scary for you? Uh, did you feel like you had the muster of courage or was it something like, you know, how was that like? And how did you develop the courage to be able to face life like that? So um, I think it's just what life threw at me, helped me grow and mature so young. You know, like I said, I was 10, 11 when uh, I saw me, my siblings and my mom be with no shelter, no roof over our head. We were homeless. So I think that's what really prepared me to start working as soon as I could. And the reason being, I was, like I said, the only guy in the family, but I was the youngest. So even though I was 10 years old, I knew what was going on around me. I understood it to an extent, but I couldn't do anything about it. And that killed me. So I was young. Like I started selling dope so early. I was probably like 11 when I first smoked weed. I started selling dope, hanging around the wrong crowd. But around 13 years old, I think that's whenever I actually got locked up, um, went to juvie. It, I got caught stealing and that that was enough for me to shift my mind to like, man, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going down the wrong path, hanging around the wrong people. So I got a summer job for the whole summer. So I was 13 years old while everybody in school was out vacationing with their family, having fun. I was working the whole summer. Um, I actually worked with my uncle the whole summer. I saved up enough money to buy my own school clothes, um, buy my own school supplies and gave the rest of my money to my mom did that at 14 same thing so it was really a summer job and during the school year i'm not gonna lie i was still like to maintain money in my pocket was still selling dope um just to keep money in my own pocket again same thing at 14 it wasn't until 15 where i actually got my actual first part-time job where it was even during the school after school going straight to work and i did that up until 16 where i was able to work full-time I already had a little girl. So at 16, Alex was working three jobs uh, at one point. So, but I think life is what really made me build up that courage. The hardships that I, I encountered at an early age is what built up my courage to be able to face that kind of adulthood at 13 years old of wanting to work already. And so when it comes to you posting snapchat stories and like for your friends about life advice do you think that a lot of that a lot of what you went through had to do with 
the deep messages that you put in your Snapchat stories? Yes, uh, for sure. I think um, by around 18-ish, I'd say a lot of people had it worse than me, right? I, I had it bad, but there's people that's had it way worse. But by around like 17, 18, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I had encountered in life already were things that people in their mid to late 20s, early 30s haven't even gone through in life yet. So given all that, knowing that I've been able to go through all these things and by 17, 18, I feel like that point in my life had already did a whole 180. I was a completely different person than who I was as a young teen that it was able to help me give a certain message out to the people around me, you know, via Snapchat or in person and help them go through certain things. And sharing my story, I think is helpful for others in my circle or friends around me or friends of friends or just people that know of me, because I know a lot of people go through hardships of their own, but when they hear someone else's story and being able to hear that, you know, the hardships that they've gone through is a lot worse or um, just as severe and how I overcame them and switched my life around. I think it's easier for them to get through what they're going through. How'd you get into like the street life and stuff? So that started um, at such an early age, like I said, um, being homeless. I mean, I, I grew up uh, as a young kid. I'm, I'm from Houston, by the way. So uh, all my Houston people, I grew up northwest side of uh, Houston, Greenspoint. For for you, uh, Ezekiel, and your people in, in California, Greenspoint in Houston, it's nicknamed Gunspoint. And everybody knows that in Houston. And it has its name for a reason. It's just that bad of town. Um, it's not a good side to be on, for sure. So growing up in that environment, it was always around me. And as I got older, you know, I moved to a better side of town. And Nonetheless, though, even though it was a good side of town, there were still people in that city that weren't the best of people. You know, they were affiliated um, themselves. So it was easy for me to relate to those people. And given that I was bullied early on, because I was always a heavy set boy, I was bullied so early on in my life that when I got older and moved to this side of town and seen that there was people similar to me that grew up um, in the same area or similar areas, I was able to relate to them. So I started hanging out with them in school. And now we became the bullies. Or in my case, I became the bully at that point. And that power for me felt good. So it was a lifestyle that was attractive to me in my eyes, because for one, I felt like I had power in my in my position. And not only that, it was almost like another family, like second nature to me. You know, uh, I had my own, you know, immediate family, but these guys to me, the way they treated me with so much love and care, it was like another family to me. So I got attracted to that. It was so easy for me to feel at home with them. And again, they were putting money in my pockets and helping me out. So to me, in my eyes at the time, I was naive to what it truly was. I didn't think it was as bad as it as it was just given the fact that for one, they were showing me love, treating me like family, and two, they were putting money in my pockets. So to answer your question, it's just something I grew up around. 
And it's easy for me to attract myself to that lifestyle during that time, given that I didn't have much at home and seeing them as a second home. I love that because it really does paint a picture of how dark you can really be in this world. Um, and the fact that you, you're starting to grow out of it and starting to see through it and mature past it just says a lot about you as a person. Um, and so when did you start becoming self-aware that, you know, this wasn't necessarily the route to take or yeah, stuff like that? So it wasn't until um, I got arrested. And again, I got arrested at 13 years old. Um, it wasn't nothing crazy. Like I said, I got caught stealing um, and did an overnighter. But just that overnighter for me, even though I didn't get actually booked all the way and spend the night uh, in juvenile with like other uh, inmates, it was just the holding cell overnight, got out. But just being in there and seeing how it is to feel like an animal locked up in a cage, that was enough for me to open my eyes and be like, this isn't the life that I want to live. And as I got older and started getting into more and more trouble, I realized that the people that I thought were family and friends didn't turn out to really be as close as I thought. You know, as I got older and would get in trouble on my own, they weren't there for me as I thought they would. And I'd always be the one, like the crazy one of the group that if something popped off, I'm always first one to jump into the situation. And when I started realizing that it wasn't the same on my end for me, that's when in my eyes, it's like, nah, this isn't what I want to do. And luckily, shortly after that, I had my little girl at 15. That was another eye opener for me that helped me become more self-aware. You know, it was just something in me. Like I said, I think a seed got planted in me when I had my little girl because my mind shift after that, knowing that my baby mom was pregnant, I realized that anything I do, it's not gonna only affect me anymore. It's also gonna affect uh, the mother of my child and my child. If I get locked up, who's gonna take care of them? Or if I get killed, who's gonna take care of them? I'm the main provider, I'm the man, I'm the, I'm the person of the household. So if something happens to me, all my family or my homeboys that I thought were my family, they're not going to stick their neck out and, and, and look out for my baby mama or my little girl. That's my responsibility. That's my doing. So that's when I realized this isn't for me. And that's what helped me be more self-aware of life itself, but also my surroundings and who I had around me. Are you a sensitive person? Very, very. Um, I, early on, like I said, I had anger issues. So anything anyone said to me, I'd pop off. I used to fight a lot. So anything that rubbed me the wrong way, if it was a guy, we're scrapping most of the time. If it's a female, I'm still cussing her out. It could be in a household with my own immediate family. It's something I didn't like. I'm going crazy. They used to call me the Red Hulk inside the house. Uh, but as I got older, the sensitivity level has dropped severely. Um, nowadays, I realize it's not that big of a deal. I think what I always try to tell homeboys that overreact about things, or even my brothers that overreact about things, I always tell them, man, uh, words are just words. And the only time to take them serious is with a threat. 
because you never know when someone's being serious with a threat and you can never take that risk or that chance of taking it lightly. And that's the only time I would overreact nowadays is if someone were to threaten me or someone that I love. But if someone were to be like, um, I don't know if it's okay to cuss. If it is, uh, if I, is it? You got, is the, it cool? you got the green okay. Line. okay. So like if someone would be like, man, your mom's a bitch right now, right? If someone were to tell me that most guys would overreact and be like, they don't fucking talk about my mama. But nowadays what I would do, even if it bothers me a little bit inside, I won't allow someone else to know that it's bothering me. I won't know. I won't let them know that I'm sensitive to that because I'm in, dri- in the driver's seat of my emotions. I don't let no one else be in the driver's seat. I'm in the driver's seat. So if someone were to say, man, your mom's a bitch, I'd be like, nah, she really is, man. I hate that bitch. Or if someone's like, man, your sister's a hoe. And be like, nah, she really is. She stands on the corner every night. Like, I'm going to go with the joke because it's going to throw them off, off their game. While they're over there trying to make me angry to something, I flip it on them and go with it. And it throws them off. And it's almost like, damn, what can I say now? Because what I thought I was going to say is going to make him get a certain reaction. I didn't give them that reaction they wanted. So it's almost a mind thing to them. And you got to learn how to move differently. So that sensibility level that I used to have, not as much. In certain topics, yes. But overall, I think it's it's been a lot better than what it used to be. A lot better as in like, what do you mean by a lot better? I'm just able to control my emotions better than what I used to. Like I said, okay. I'm always in the driver's seat of my emotions and I try not to let anyone ever uh, take that steering wheel. And you know, well, like in the moment, like in those very emotional situations, can you pinpoint what you're feeling? Yeah. Um, when I do get angry, um, it's literally what people say, like, um, you get I, like my anxiety starts to rise up. My heart's racing. Um, depending on the situation, I just got in a fight like last year in San Antonio. Um, it hasn't even been a year, but it was last a few months ago. And in the moment, like you get, I get so angry. Um, it's like my, my uh, blood starts to like rise up. My heart's racing. Anxiety's through the roof and adrenaline starts pu- pumping through me. So whether that's me, yelling out uh something to get my emotions out or whether that's me actually physically doing something whether it's throwing hitting whatever it is but inside of me though it's definitely a rush of adrenaline mixing with anxiety mixing with a bunch of anger too so then from that point what does emotional self-control look like because being that sensitive like that and experiencing your anger at that level, intensity is pretty brutal. So how do you, like, get control over it? So what I try to do nowadays is just learn to flip it, flip my emotions. So instead of feeling anger built up, I try to make the best of the situation and turn it into a joke, turn it into laughter, something I can laugh about. And when I realize that, when you do those type of acts, you tend to, instead of releasing anger and that adrenaline, you tend to release more of a positive energy out. And you feel more powerful in those moments because you have control of the situation or you have control of your emotions. So you feel more powerful in a sense because no one can override that anymore. 
but yourself unless you allow it to. When you don't allow no one to and you have the full control, it's an amazing feeling. So practicing that more often in certain situations, it feels better over time and it's easier to do. I like that. That's very, very insightful, to be honest. I just learned something right there. Oh, yeah. Um, so I watched your podcast and you had one, I think, called FNF or something like that. And I guess it's kind of along the lines of talking about emotions and stuff like that. Um, can you tell us what FNF is and uh, oh, yeah. how you kind of go about that with your cousins at home and stuff like that? Yeah. So uh, for everyone watching, actually, um, I rent a house with me and two of my cousins and we've always been close. But these last few years, we're like this, like our bond is is immaculate like it's crazy like there's no one else that I think has the type of bond that we have and for those watching F and F stands for feelings and financials and it's something that we do on a weekly basis and the reason why we started it was because we were always so close and we used to always talk about deep stuff with one another but once you move in with somebody it's a whole different environment. You get to learn so much more things about that person that you didn't know. And sometimes there's obstacles to overcome, you know, because when you see each other from time to time, everything's all love, giggly laughs and stuff. But when you live with somebody, you get to see raw emotions that you didn't get to see before. You know, in my case, they would see me on my down days and they would see when I come home stressed out and I bring home work stuff with me. And they'd see how stressed out I'd be. I wouldn't be in a plain and laughing mood and vice versa with them. I'd see them in their stressful moods or when they were too much in their thoughts and their feelings. So our vibe would be off. It wouldn't always all be playful and giggles and laughs and hee hees and ahas. So a lot of times we would reciprocate energy, which wasn't healthy for our relationships. We would see one person acting in a certain way. So the other person would almost be petty and be like, okay, well, he's acting that way. I'm going to act the same way. I'm not going to talk to him either. I'm going to ignore him too. I'm going to walk right past him and not say a word. And so granted, given we have such a good relationship and we're all grown enough um, to talk about it over time, we already had deep conversations about certain things. We were able to open up and be like, hey, you know, I genuinely, we're very direct with one another. Be like, hey, man, I genuinely don't like how you act like that or how you did this. And that's when the conversation started where it's like, well, to be honest, it's just I'm going through a lot, man. This is what's going on. And so at first, it just started on a weekly basis talking about our feelings and just talk about things that we've at first. It was just things about what we go through on a daily uh, basis. And once we got a good understanding of one another, it became a weekly thing where it's like, what did we go through the week prior? What were things that you felt like individually we could have done? differently this week that maybe you didn't like or what are things you went through at work or just life in general and it wasn't until one of my cousins got scammed uh over the phone I don't know if anyone's gone through this where you get those scam likely calls they're very 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 good with it now where at least in Houston there's like three different postal codes so on your phone it may not even say scam likely no more it's just a random number that seems like it could be somebody that you know you pick it up and the one he got caught with actually was uh, they called him. They're like, hey, your identity got stolen. Your social security, somebody 
got caught trying to traffic drugs and they owe this much money, but the feds are after you because it's your identity. So long story short, they ended up scamming him out of almost 10 G's. He was hurt because of that. So that's when the financials part started. And, you know, he's expressing how he felt about his financials, how much he was hurting. I was able to open up about my financials and let him know, like, hey, help him with tips on like, hey, man, I've heard it on my end financially as well. And this was the cause of it. And this is what helped me get back on track. And we started working on financial plans with one another on, hey, man, this is individually how much you make. This is what all your expenses are. After you pay your expenses each month, this is how much you're left over with. Okay, so this leftover money, put this into your debt, put this into your savings. And this is the little bit of money you have to spend. This is whatever you do, whether it's to go out to eat, go out to drink, um, buy stuff, whatever it is, but this is your play money. So on a weekly now, not only do we talk about, talk about our feelings, but we would talk about our financials. And as men, it's hard to talk about that because pride and ego, a lot of people are very egotistical. So a lot of people don't want to say, hey, man, to be honest, I only got 40 bucks in my name and I ain't got shit in my savings. It's hard for someone to say that, you know, because everyone's put out an image like they're doing OK, especially financially. But with us, given the type of connection that we have and bond that we have, we're able to be open and honest with one another. I'll literally pull out my phone and show them my bank account. Hey, man, this is how much I got right now. This is my savings. And this is how much I'm in debt. You know, it's that close of a bond that we have with one another. So overall, the benefits from that is the people that you're very comfortable and close enough with to do this, you get to have one, a deeper connection with them, a deeper bond and a better understanding of them. So when you see them acting a certain way that they normally don't act, you, you can understand them on a better uh, aspect on why they're acting that way. And so you know how to approach them differently. You may be used to just playing around with them all the time, but when you know that they're going through some stuff mentally, you know to approach them in a more calmer way, more sensitive and, and just be more, how can I say, adapting to them. So with the financials part as well, it just helps out with one another as well with, you know, if you know they're hurting for money, at least with us, for me, my case with my brothers, hey man, this is what I got. I know you're hurting here, bro, take this. It can be a few hundred, it can be up to a rack here, bro, take this pay me back when you can, but I'm the type of person that I'll never keep tabs. So if I ever help them out with something, I will never expect them to pay me back. If they do, cool. If they don't, I did it out of love, out of my heart. So I know they're hurting, so I'm going to help them. And vice versa, there's been times when I needed help with money and I'll be like, hey, man, we have a group text. So, hey, bro, I'm not going to lie. Can one of you guys help me out with 500? Oh, yeah, bro, I got you. I'm going to tell you right now. Boom, right away within a minute. I see the uh, the bank account, boom, I got 500 in my account now. So we help each other out in that way. So you're never, ever hurting financially. We help each other out as a unity. That's amazing. Sure. Um, kind of going into depression again, like what were some things or tools that you used to help yourself cope or even start to overcome some of your depressions? Great question, man. Um, 
I think there's so many different approaches people can take. And at the end of the day, I feel like it's whatever works for you. So what I've learned, what helps me with my depression is learning about depression. What exactly is depression? And once you start researching about it, you realize that depression always stems from your thoughts, right? You can take a person and put them in a room and they don't have to have any emotions in that, in that time. Have them think about something extremely sad, whether it's their mother passing away, a loved one passing away. Immediately, they're going to get filled and rushed with emotions, sadness, tears are going to be running down their eyes, anxiety. So it's not even a true thing that actually happened. It's just a theory they put in their mind and thoughts that they shove in their mind that causes them to that sadness, which then results into depression. So, or depression also comes from things that may have not gone your way. You thought it was going to be one way and it turns out to go a different way. And that um, rushes you with a bunch of sadness and anxiety, which can result into depression. But once you can, you're able to realize what depression is and control your thoughts, it's easier to cope with it. So that's when people start saying, hey, well, keep yourself busy. You know, whether that's going outside, getting some fresh air, taking a walk in the park, reading a book, hanging out with friends, um, writing in the journal. Um, there's so many different approaches you can take. And at the end of the day, it's what works for you. Um, so for one, keeping yourself busy. Two is being open and honest about it, talking to somebody that you're actually close with. Um, I think once you're able to get a lot of this stuff and say it out loud, it's almost like a weight's lifted off your chest. So when you have people that are you're close with around you, whether that's a family member or a best friend um, or even a coworker you're real cool with, whoever you have trust in, doesn't matter what the relationship is, but getting that off your chest is such a huge help as well. So finding what works for you. And I think once you find that, continue to do that every single time. But heaviest hitter I want people to take away from it is researching depression. Once you research it, learn about it, learn to control your thoughts. You control your thoughts, your mind's so powerful, you will learn to cope with it a lot easier. doesn't matter what it is, you'll cope with anything a lot easier. Coming from like my depressions and stuff, like I was diagnosed in college with major depression major depressive disorder so it was very hard for me to even open up to the people next to me about what I was truly going through and you know personally I was given all that advice like you should go talk to people you should go outside but I was at a point to where I couldn't even get out of my bed um I'm like the only thing that got me out of bed was this one girl I was very into <laughs> but um, that's not how best, best of my priorities were at that time. But, um, but for the most part, I literally could not get out of bed um, and even do schoolwork. So for someone who's in that similar situation, you know, they're literally backed up all the way. They're like at basically rock bottom like that. What would be some advice that you would give to them? Because opening up seems like an impossibility. Um, 
going outside, you know, uh, finding going to nature, all that kind of stuff that would be healing for you seems impossible. So how do you, what would you, what would be your advice to somebody like that? For sure, man. Um, I love that uh, scenario because my deepest depression, I was the same way. Like I mentioned earlier, I was in bed for two weeks straight. Um, I didn't get out of bed at all unless if it was the restroom, I wasn't getting out of bed. And um, it was so crazy because I would even be on my phone, like trying to watch videos to even get my mind off of what I'm going through. But I would realize that I'd space out even watching the videos like I'm holding the phone the video's playing, but my mind's just thinking about whatever I'm depressed about. It's just going about that. So at that point, it's like you said, at that point, you feel like it's rock bottom for you. It's a will within yourself. You got to have that inner strength, right? And I think that's where practicing meditation really helps right because you learn to put your mind at ease through meditation and in that moment through meditation you become or you get into a peaceful state of mind and really if you can't open up to nobody like I said you got to find almost like that inner beast within yourself and push through it and it's easy to say that I know it's a lot harder to do but once you find that in you, even if it's a small window gap for a moment, taking advantage of that, hop out of bed, get up, even do exercises in your room, whether it can be the simplest things, but just getting up and, and moving around and being active, you know, and go outside in the backyard and just sit out there, get fresh air. Um, nature's our best friend. So you get outside and at least get some uh, vitamin D, get some get some good sun on you and push yourself. It's baby steps. I'm not going to sit here and say um, you when you're in that state of mind that it's so easy, just go outside and start running or go to the gym and start exercising. It takes baby steps. So if that's just for one day, you get out of bed and just start slowly, like just doing like, I don't know, jumping jacks out of nowhere and then lay back down. Okay, cool. Next day, uh, walk around the house real quick and then go lay back down the following day go outside in the backyard and, and get some fresh air but the more you keep yourself active even if it's for little moments uh every day till you build up to that it's gonna take those baby steps you know people always want to push it to the next level to make it seem like oh yeah you're depressed rock bottom man just go outside and start running or just go outside and exercise it's not that easy sometimes it takes a lot within yourself so i think taking those baby steps forward is better than not doing anything at all. I like that. Moving away from depression, I saw your interview with My House is Dirty. And I like that interview. I don't think they put that many interviews. I think that was a, you were the first person to actually interview My House is Dirty. And for the, the people who don't know who My House is Dirty is, they're just this prank channel who uploads very original and raw prank ideas and you don't really find that on youtube anymore because usually a lot of stuff is fake and staged and a lot of cuts and edits but these guys are just in it and you're just with them as they're kind of scheming things and joking about things and i really love it so how was that interview for you and what are some of your favorite pranks by them 
Oh man, uh, dude, shout out my house is dirty and shout out red. Um, they're actually based out here in Houston, my hometown. So how that interview even came about was I'm a very, um, open dude. So I'm gonna shoot my shot, right? The worst thing they can do is just not open up my DMS or not reply if they do see it. So that's worst case scenario. Best case scenario is they reply and I get an interview. So there's two big YouTubers in, from Houston in my eyes, which is My House is Dirty and Jadeon. So I shot my shot with both of them. And My House is Dirty opened it the very next morning, hit me back, sent them my phone number. They called me within an hour and they came through that exact same day. So um, shout out My House is Dirty Man in Red because they're the most authentic dudes off camera. You know, you hear a lot of stories about certain YouTubers or influencers that are dickheads off camera. Nah, these guys are literally so humble, so down to earth and so funny. Um, so shout out both of them. But some of my favorite pranks is definitely the ones that they do, like pushing the carts. Um, it's a seasonal one that they do. That's probably like my second favorite, which is the big old teddy bear. That one's hilarious. Um, one that they've been doing more often recently is wedding people. I think that shit is so funny uh, when they wet folks. Um, but man, all their videos is just like you said, it's just so raw and authentic. They go straight to it. They don't even have an intro. They go just straight to the pranks. Um, I love how they don't even, um, the reactions that they get from people is amazing because dirty never, ever backs down from nobody. You know, whenever someone gets angry at him, he's right there ready to square up on them as well, which I find that so hilarious. And there's not many people like that. Everybody's just so straight into, oh, it's a prank. It's a prank. There's a camera. No, they push it to like a whole different level on people and get that like real, real, real reaction from them. So those dudes are legit, man. They're funny. Down to earth, guys. Yeah, shout out to my house is dirty right there. And then any last uh, things that you want to say and touch on? Um, no, nah, man, I just want to say for sure, I appreciate Ezekiel, um, Expanded Minds podcast, man. You guys need to go ahead and show him so much love. Drop a like, subscribe if you haven't already. And don't forget the bell notification button as well. So you guys are notified every time my, my man posts. Um, and where you guys can find me at though, man, is, um, on YouTube. I got the video audio version of my podcast, which is, um, real raw, uncut. If you guys just want the audio version, if you guys are driving or working out, you guys can find me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts on Real Raw Uncut Podcast. Um, I'm on TikTok as well, Real Raw and Uncut. You guys can see snippets of little clips before you guys want to check me out. You guys can see some of those. Um, but yeah, I appreciate the interview, man. It's been an honor um, to sit here. I hope we can run it back, do another <laughs> part two. Heck yeah, for sure, man. Um, I appreciate you coming on as well, and I just love your channel in general. For those people who are going through mental health or just want to sit down and have a real raw, or listen, listen to a real raw conversation, this is my man right here, real raw and uncut. So appreciate check that. him out as well. Oh, yeah. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, we keep it real raw and uncut on my end. Um, I have episodes over depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. So it's stuff that you guys can relate to. Most people on average don't speak about it um i try to be different so you guys can hear things that i've gone through on my channel um and also things that my guests have gone through and what we've done to overcome those so if you're ever feeling any kind of way 
just click on one of my episodes. You guys can relate to us and hopefully we can help you get through something that you're going through. Love that. All right, everyone have a good day and uh, we'll see you on the next episode here. Yes, sir. Peace out.